All right, so in this episode of a Leader Smith podcast, I'm going to be talking to a unique individual with a interesting perspective related to leadership. You don't want to miss this. Stay tuned. In a world of incompetent bosses, micromanagers, and petty tyrants, one management professor claims that he can help you become the kind of leader that you would want to follow. You are listening to the leader smith now here is your host darren gertis okay so i am here i'm joined by dennis mossberg dennis mossberg really recently uh wrote a book it's called reflections on leadership i'm only knee deep into the book but everything that i've read so far tells me he knows what he's talking about nothing here was off in left field but what's really interesting about the guy is he comes from a different place. Like most of the places, most of the time when you talk about people involved in leadership, it's in the in the uh, corporate world. Sometimes you'll get some that are military. Dennis, tell us about your background, because I, I'm, I'm trying to pull uh, people from multi uh, disciplinary backgrounds or, or people that come from like, so I'm going to have a teacher on, I'm going to have a mortgage broker telling us what he sees with leadership. I have this guy that has done nothing but uh, go through the Proverbs to to pull out whatever he can about uh, biblical wisdom about Proverbs to show us what he sees about leadership. You have a very unique uh, perspective coming from where you came from. So my background is in corrections of worked 17 and a half years in prisons and now i've spent about 18 months working as a parole officer and so my background is definitely in the kind of it's probably closer to police or military yeah. uh, definitely high stress environments um and so i've learned how to most of my leadership comes from boots on the ground teamwork building small team tactics and that sort of thing um and now, as I was after reading- i as I was reading your background, it's not just prisons, but it's critical incidents kind of command, right? So right. you're not only dealing with high stress, very dangerous, low pay, but then you're dealing with the highest stress of that part of the world. And so I'm sure that that has formed the way that you think about leadership. Oh, absolutely. Um, after a while in prisons, I got on our incident management team and nationwide Incidents, natural disasters, COVID, all these sorts of things are managed this, through the same format. Mm-hmm. So with that training, we I um, got opportunities to go to Hawaii for uh, the Kilauea Volcano, went to North Carolina for Hurricane Florence, lots of experience um, deploying with different agencies for COVID-19. So um, yeah, I, I guess I've kind of hit the hat trick for um, stressful environments and trying to operate in them. Okay, so let me start with just as I would with any of these other people that I'm going to be talking to, just a simple definition. How do you define leadership? How do you think about what leadership is? That that's where we'll start, and then I'll ask you to get into something deeper about like what formed your perspe- perspective of leadership in your role. Um, I, I guess the the best way to describe leadership for me, if if we want to shorten it down is to clear the path and enable my workers, my followers, my my team to get the job done for me. I absolutely love that. If you were in my class, you'd be getting a gold star. 
<laughs> that is that's that's absolutely right because often people confuse leadership with management or they think it means doing it for them or thinks it's barking at them no you're getting stuff done through them and so you need to equip them and make a way for them to get where they're trying to go so that's exactly right um this is why you're on the program because <laughs> i'm convinced that you're, you're you're on the right track thank you Tell me about how your background has shaped or formed the way that you see leadership now. Just like some stories or background or, or things that you've experienced along the way. And then I want you to tell me about some, you know, the book, things that why you did it and uh, maybe a little bit for the audience to understand why they should see it. Coming from corrections where you literally do have to depend on everybody on your team. You have to depend on your partner to help you make it through the night. Mm -hmm. So there's a big emphasis on you, you'll have a team leader. And of course, there are shift supervisors and that sort of thing. But you know that you can't get what you need done without delegating and talking to your staff. Mm -hmm. And it's not enough to just kind of tell them, oh, go, you know, make people safe. You have to give the commander's intent, and then you have to trust them to go forward and do that. And sometimes that requires some conversations about clarifying things. But that environment in corrections um, really shaped that philosophy and idea that I can't do it all. I have to trust them, but to make sure that they get the job done, I have to give them clear instruction. And I have to be willing to accept that maybe my instruction isn't quite as clear as I think, and they have to come back and ask qualifying questions. Um, you know, there, there are so many incidents like that in prison. Some of them are not really good for, you know, dinner conversation, if you will. Um, but just the whole environment is based on building that team and building that trust and being able to get through the shift and get through the night with your team. Sure. Um, You're dealing with a very potentially dangerous, potentially volatile population. So you have to have your guard up at all times. Is that, is that correct? That's absolutely correct. And unfortunately, I mean, kind of on a side note, I don't think people appreciate the, the taxing um, effect that has on your body. Corrections, my state alone did a study that found that up to 18% of their prison workers have PTSD of some wow. sort. That's right up there with combat veterans. So, yeah. um, it, you know, you have to have your guard up, but you also have to keep in mind that you have to take care of yourself, you know, mentally and emotionally. And that was, that's another huge lesson for me is if you're only there for your troops, but not taking care of yourself, eventually you're not going to be there for your troops. Yeah. That's, so, really, that's really profound. I mean, yeah, that self-care is it's easy to neglect. Now, tell me about taking care of the troops, though, because, I mean, how do you I and mean, you have to really work extra hard to lead people in a dangerous environment. I, like, they have to trust you extra. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's an elevated amount. You know, leadership isn't just leadership here. It's it's something like really they, they're depending on you. Tell us more about that. So one of the best ways to combat that is to um, it's through lots of training. You want to train them. You want to have drills. You want to have exercises. You want to talk through um, the events that you're going through. Mm -hmm. And then you can't just, you know, do that and have an emergency and sit in your office and watch them get done, you know, or listen and hope that they get it done. You have to be there on scene. And I don't mean necessarily 
you know, you're hands on, you're putting on the handcuffs, but you have to be there and looking at the whole scene and they have the trust that you're there and have their back. The other part of that is being careful about how you're portraying yourself. I've seen a lot of leaders, they get in a emergency situation and that voice starts to rise and elevate and they start to, you know, you could tell that they're getting excited. You want to be calm, remain calm with your team. And that's absolutely parallel to corporate world. Mm -hmm. If you're going through some sort of layoffs or some sort of budget crisis, if you're not able to portray portray confidence and deliver messages calmly to your team, they're going to try to abandon ship or they're going to start making up rumors or they're going to do whatever it is they're going to do in the absence of what they see as calm, firm leadership. We've seen that in the political arena. We see that in corporate arena. And I don't think that enough people carry those lessons from military police and corrections forward about how you portray yourself as a leader. Yeah. Yeah. So you, and you've been all over the map here, not just in the prison itself, but when you're with your, in your bio talking about the critical incidents, you were talking about all kinds of things, contaminated water, computer system breaches, the volcano, uh, the hurricane. So tell me about the computer system breach. I mean, what do you see when you watch the news talking about like the gas thing that's going on right now? Um, I mean, what what comes to your mind as you start hearing about these kind of things? So, well, full disclosure, I don't really watch the news anymore. I haven't watched it for, for years. It's just, it, might it be, seems that like might it's be all so negative. But you, you understand that yeah. there's the computer um, yeah. ransomware shutting down the pipelines yep. and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, for for the one I was involved with, um, there were definitely some IT, some technical things that had to be done. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't involved in that. I'm not smart enough for that. But what I was involved with was more of the location tracking, trying to figure out who was involved and how to kind of track that down. So probably one of the easiest examples for me to talk about relating news events to my experience and kind of understanding what's going on is actually with hurricanes Uh and like forest fires. So when the hurricanes start lining up on the coast, you start hearing uh, states declaring um, natural disasters. They think, okay, well, that that's what triggers the FEMA response. It's not until the government or the governor asks for them to come in that they start coming in. And then they start staging their resources in an area they think will be close to where the hurricane makes ground, but not um, so close that they you know, be, need to be rescued sure. themselves. So you start looking at these things that are going forward. Looking at the pipeline, there are going to be some certain parallels in that the government's going to have to marshal whatever resources they have. And of course, a lot of it is probably just, you know, um, electronic rather than actual boots on the ground. But they're probably still going to send some people to try to figure out how they can um, prevent this from happening in the future, what fail safes they can put in. And I guarantee you, um, from the the cyber event I was involved with and all the other events, there's a lot more going on that's ever going to make the news simply because they can't afford to get that information out. Unfortunately, when we have things like that, and it's not just in the news, it's just everybody, you see something going on, not enough clear communication, so people just start making up or trying to connect dots however they want. 
So whatever's on the news, whatever people are thinking about it, I, I guarantee you that's not what's actually happening. Yeah, well, that's that's. I don't know if that's comforting or not. It's. I mean, you know that <laughs> other things are going on. Um, so I, I asked you that as kind of a lead into a second question, and that is like, how do you prepare to lead when you're all over the map? You just talked about a hurricane, a volcano, and a computer breach in within the space of a paragraph. <laughs> so like, how do you wrap your mind around leading in all these different situations? It's one thing when you're doing the same thing regularly or you kind of know what you're doing, but it's it, as, a, as a parallel. If you've ever been in church and, and uh, you're trying to follow somebody sing and they don't know the song, it's kind of <laughs> painful, right? Yeah, I mean, right. That's kind of where you are because you don't know what you need to do, but yet you have to lead anyway. Or if you're trying to teach somebody or if you're trying to lead somebody as you're dancing and you don't know the mm -hmm. steps, you got a problem. So yeah. how do you do that? So the good thing is usually I'm going with people I know. So we already kind of have an idea of how we respond. But especially in North Carolina, we're coming in eight technical experts from Washington State mm -hmm. going to North Carolina. None of us have ever been in a hurricane. Mm -hmm. I mean, the closest thing it is to, to that is, you know, being in Seattle and during a rainstorm. But you learn to tap into those, the locals. We couldn't get this done without help of local people on the ground. Yeah. So in no matter any of these incidents where you show up, where you're kind of a fish out of water, believe me, I know nothing about hurricanes, volcanoes, or wildland fires or, or any of that, but I do know how to ask questions. Yeah. So I find the local experts, I find the locals, and you start asking them questions. What do you need? How can we help you? What do you? What does the movement of these floodwaters tell you about where we need to start setting up evacuation areas or assembly areas or, or any of those other things? Um, leadership. This kind of goes back to my corrections days and away from the or prison days and away from the emergency responses. But when I promoted my first promotion. I found myself, I promoted pretty early, and I found myself now supervising people who had coached and mentored me as an officer. And I knew that just going in there and barking orders at them wasn't going to win any friends. It, it sounds like you would have an advantage by not being able to do that because your tendency right. is to want to tell people what to do. And yep. telling people what to do is a kiss of death. I mean, it is. Yeah. It, is, it absolutely is. So. I just learned pretty early on, like, even if I had an idea what the job was, just start asking the boots on the ground, you know, the people doing the work. How can I help you? What do you need? What do we do next? And then by my, by my positional authority, I can um, make some of those things happen. I can clear some of those um, um, obstacles out of the way. But, you know, role power, positional authority will only take you so far. It's the, uh, the relationship power. That's where about 90% of your leadership comes from is building that network, not just with your team, but you've got to build it on up the chain because when you start making those asks for your team, they're not going to help you if they don't trust you or like you either. Yeah. And you had this heavy emphasis on asking. Um, and it made me think of uh, John Maxwell. I, I just finished reading a, another book that I hadn't read before. Like he's got what, 80 or a hundred, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, and he was saying, um, 
this was um one that he revised uh 2.0 i can't remember which which one it was an early book that he now revised and he said in my younger days i would have done a lot more telling now i find that i do a lot more asking and i raised maxwell yep. because like he was like your second or third chapter in the book and so i know right. that you have that kind of background you're, you're talking about the right things asking relationship all the right yep. kinds of things but you have a amplified environment where it becomes more dangerous, whether it's in the prison or in these critical incidents or whatever. Um, that's why this is really interesting because it, it's kind of the same stuff, but you have to deal with an extra level of difficulty. It, it definitely, it really amplifies your results being in those kind of stressful situations. I've learned a lot of things from from supervisors and managers who don't ask. They're more of the command and control. And in those environments, you see the stress, you see it, it's all amplified. And when, as I started my leadership journey and started learning about how to do this, and, and believe me, we, I've made plenty of mistakes in the way we all have, but it's learning from them. And just stepping back and asking those questions, I can see how both of those pan out in high stress situations. And the one I'd rather be on is in the ask questions, the, um, in, in the relationship building. Now there are times in com where command and control is, is necessary. Yeah, sure. Um, in, in like military law enforcement, firefights, or sometimes in, in corrections where there really are high stakes, but unless you build that relationship beforehand in the times of peace in the times of calmness then we start barking orders at them you know if you haven't built those relationships they're going to be resentful they'll probably do what you want them to do but you're not going to get as much out of them they're not going to be they're not going to buy into the plan as well uh, and it doesn't work as well as if you had just done the time to build the relationship to begin with yeah years ago i wrote an article um in an obscure pu uh, publication that said uh, the title was Bad teachers, uh, uh, bad examples can be great teachers. And uh, I wonder if that's more what you mean with the you know people that are all in command and control. And then my second thought with that is, uh, do you think it's generational? Like you and I are in kind of middle age. Mm -hmm. The people above you, I would imagine a lot of them default into that command and control and below, not as readily. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong. I think... I certainly think there's something to that. Mm -hmm. The other piece of the pie or part of the equation, especially for corrections, is you're in a high-stress environment. It's entry-level, high-stress environment. You don't often take the time to learn how to use your voice and um, you know, use your verbal tactical tools, as we call them. And as you ride through the ranks, your first, you gain your first promotion by demonstrating that you can order inmates around, you can supervise inmates. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're not taking, if you're taking more of a command and control thing or theory with them, then that's only reinforced when you're promoted. And then, and then if you can, you know, demonstrate good supervision with line staff using the same techniques and you start getting promoted again. So there are some generational things, absolutely. I think a lot of it depends on the environment that you're brought up in. If you're in a corporate situation that's more dog-eat-dog -dog world, and that's all you see getting promoted, that's probably the same route you're going to take. Okay, so tell me about inmates. How do you best lead inmates so that there's the le least problems possible? 
just like anybody else, honestly. Um, I found I gained the best compliance by demonstrating some form of respect, yeah. which obviously for them is something that they probably haven't seen from any authority figures in most of their life. And now you're day to day dealing with them. And the only weapon you have basically is your voice mm-hmm. and your wits. Um, you gain so much more compliance if you respect them. That doesn't mean that, um, you know, I condone what they've done or, or anything like that. I'm just trying to help make society safe by keeping them where they are until, you know, at some point they release. Yeah. That's my only concern. I expected you to answer it like you did. Now, the reason is um, I use a book, uh, Influenced by Cialdini. Uh, He's a professor Mm -hmm. at Arizona State. And um, he was talking about even a hostage negotiator uh, negotiator knows if you deal with the person who's taken the hostage with respect, you get better results than if you don't do that. This is just a human condition, right? So It it absolutely is, yes. Yeah. Um, We have negotiators in the prison. and. I was always fascinated to watch them try to build that rapport, generally with someone they've never met before, who's in a really bad day, and, and try to gain some compliance. And um, he, he's absolutely right. You want to build that rapport, build that respect, to try to get them to do what you want them to do. In your bio, uh, one of the things that you said, a line that caught my eye, was much of his leadership has been in getting type A personalities to get along. What type A personalities, the prisoners or the guards or both? (laughs) Uh, A little of both, actually. Um, You know, you don't go into any kind of, you know, military, police, corrections, firefighting without some, you know, wanting to get an adrenaline rush or wanting to do something exciting and that sort of thing. And a lot of people go into corrections looking as an entryway into law enforcement. So you've got all these macho guys who want to, you know, go do some cool stuff and you kind of have to try to herd them and narrow their focus into one, you know, one area. I I used to say it's kind of like trying to herd feral cats. (laughs) Yeah. um, Okay. So I have to shift gears. I try to keep the program down to about a half hour or so. And, and, you know, the smallest I do is about 10 minutes. We blew past that in no time, Uh, (laughs) but but I try to keep it to about a half hour. So we just, we want to wrap up pretty quickly. Um, I want to do a couple things. One, I want you to be able to tell your audience about, uh, tell the audience about your book. Uh, Why did you write the book and what will they see in it? And then I'll end with a quotation for contemplation and then I'll give you the last word. Okay. So during my leadership journey, trying to learn more about this thing we call leadership, I decided to um, go back to school and I earned a master of science in management and leadership. So I went through that program and I've always kind of liked quotes, but I started digging more into quotes about um, what history's leaders had to say about leadership. I've learned a lot about what academics have to say. Let's see what the leaders have to say and see how they align. So I started collecting these quotes and then I thought, well, wait a minute, why don't I expand on these to break it down for, um, you know, the ordinary leader who needs kind of that, um, that understanding of what's trying to be said. So I look at the quote, give a brief bio, and then I break down what the quote means in, in modern uh, leadership theory, which I found hasn't really, I mean, we call it modern leadership theory, but it's the same principles that we've been practicing for thousands of years. And then each chapter, I try to make 
some sort of action step or make it actionable or give someone so we close down that knowing doing gap. Mm-hmm. So if you look at my book, you'll look at um, some historical perspective and then see how to apply it today and some actionable um, steps to take to implement it. Uh, a fire chief recently um, got in contact with me and he's loved my book and he said some of the things I read in your book, I was able to apply the next day. So for a writer, that's that's really that's, the reward that's right praise. there. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and if you haven't seen his book, um, you know, he's he looks at like 50 or 60 different leaders. Some are authors, some are actual leaders who have done things. Again, the, the title is Reflections on Leadership. Uh, and and I want to close with the contemplate the quotation for contemplation, which I always do in every episode. It comes from one of your leaders, Colin Powell. And this book, mm-hmm. this quote comes from um uh, what's his book? It worked for me in life and leadership. He, I know that it was there, but it's right here as well. It's such a great quote that, I, I mean, okay, here, here we go. Uh, leadership is solving problems. The day that soldiers stop bringing you their problems is a day that you have stopped leading them. They have either lost confidence that you can help or concluded that you don't care. Either case is a failure of leadership. Absolutely. Um, and there's and this book is chock full of quotes like that. Again, he starts with a quote and then he unpacks it. So, uh, Dennis, thank you for your time. I'm going to give you the last word. Tell us anything else that you want the audience to hear that we haven't covered. Well, I love to talk to people about their leadership journey and try to help them along the way. I'm on a lot of the socials, just Dennis Mossberg. Um, that's M-O-S-S-B-O-R-G. Plus, I have a website, DennisMossberg.com. I'm um, updating and maintaining my blog on there, a couple entries a week. Um, that'll probably eventually be um, parts of more books to come. So, thank you for having me on your show, and I look forward to to speaking to to whoever makes contact with me. Thanks for being here. It was such a unique perspective that you bring to bear, and uh, I'm sure the audience will be very happy to hear that. And I, I'm really pleased too because you everything that you said lines up with everything that I teach in class. Um, and it's just interesting to hear how leadership works in one area and another and another, in spite of all the extra sharp and pointy objects that you have to put up with in your line of work. All right. Thank you again. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And I'm happy to be on your show.